Testing, testing. One, two, three. Okay. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast of the book Around Serie A in 20 Days. I am, as always, Michael Nimmo, the author and narrator of said book. First of all, before we get going with today's episode, I'd like to make a little apology. I intend, or better, I intended to upload a new episode every Monday and every Friday, but up until this point, I've not really been doing that. Sorry about this. Last weekend, I was full of very, very good intentions, but, uh, well, I have some excuses. First of all, it was my birthday last weekend, and I didn't really feel like doing anything at all. And then on Monday, it was Easter Monday here in Italy, and so I did as Jesus would have wanted, and I went to a barbecue. So, pathetic excuses out of the way. Join me today as we go on a journey to Sassuolo. Hope you enjoy, and as always, if you enjoy, subscribe and rate and review the podcast, either through my website or through iTunes. Thank you very much. See you later. Ciao, ciao. Chapter 7. Sassuolo, home of tiles. My journey to watch Sassuolo play Atalanta. How can a company that doesn't check if you pay for its service survive? Who or what is a Sassuolo, precisely? And when will Trenitalia force me to snap, a la Michael Douglas, in falling down? These were just some of the questions running through my mind on the train to Reggio Emilia, where Sassuolo play, but not where they're from. It seemed vaguely apt that I was on the way to see a team that spent the last few years nomading their way around leagues and stadia. I wouldn't claim to be an intrepid explorer, or particularly unique, but I live in a country that isn't my own, and over the course of the last five years have lived in six different apartments, almost always with a feeling of being lost. Only now do I feel like I'm getting to grips with life, but there's always the nagging doubt that I'm kidding myself and everyone around me. That's partly the reason I undertook this whole book, to give myself a reason to stay in Italy. But first, to one of those original questions. Sassuolo are a team from Emilia-Romagna, and to be more precise, Sassuolo, if such a thing could be believed. In the week before this game, I told some students my plans for the weekend, namely watching Sassuolo play Atalanta, to which I was generally greeted with two responses. The first was, bemused faces and Sassuolo have a team or are in Serie A. And the second, ah, it's a good place to buy tiles. There are a lot of tile warehouses there. Always good to know that. I guess it's nice to be famous for something and those lucky folk of Sassuolo now have their town's name on the map for two reasons, tiles and football. Of course, it was already on the map if you looked closely enough, but, well, you understand what I mean. Some fun facts about US Sassuolo Calcio. It's not a lesser-known spaceship from Star Trek, but it is one of only a select few teams in Italy to have played in Serie A that don't come from their provincial capital. What's a provincial capital, you ask? Well, basically, it's a bonus level of officialdom to ensure more people have safe jobs for life 
without really having anything to do except bog things down in a miasma of bureaucracy. In case you're wondering, some of the other teams on this august list are Casale, Cesena, Empoli, Leco, Legnano, Propatria and Savoia. No, me neither for most of them. Before today's game, there was to be a minute's silence for the victims of atrocious floods which had hit Sardinia in the week preceding this fixture. Described as being like a water bomb, six months of water fell on the island in 12 hours, killing 17 and causing 250 million euros of damage. It makes grumbling about trains seem just as petty and insignificant as it really is in the grand scheme of things. This is Unione Sportiva Sassuolo Calcio's first season in Serie A since forming in 1920. They've changed form more often than Doctor Who, but have been playing in green and black since the 1970s. This is where their nickname, Inero Verdi, comes from, although Sassuol, from the local dialect, is also accepted. Ezio Pascuti, who those paying attention at the back will remember was one of Giuse from Bologna's favourite players, was coach for a while, before they were promoted out of the minor leagues into what was the slightly less minor Serie C2 in 1984. In 2005-2006, four match days before the end of the season, they played away at Cavese, who had just clinched promotion. The home team celebrated by verbally threatening, punching and kicking the Sassolese players in the tunnel, while up in the stand, the staff and directors got the same treatment. Needless to say, Sassuolo lost 2-1, and the home side were fined a paltry €3,000. Just to put that into context, during season 2013-14, Livorno would be fined €10,000 for a supporter who shone a laser pen on the pitch. The budgets in Serie A might be bigger, but that doesn't strike me as being a good justification for the gulf in crime versus punishment. They continued to knock about down in semi-professionals nether regions until promotion to Serie B in 2008 under Max Allegri, who was Milan coach until January 2014 and at time of writing is Juventus's man on the bench. He is, by a country mile, Sassuolo's most famous, permanently nervous-looking former face. My friend Simone, who you may remember from my time watching Sampdoria, told me that when Samp were slumming it in Serie B in 2011-12, he'd gone to see them playing against Sassuolo, while they were based in Modena. He'd said that there were approximately 300 fans there for the home side, and of that, maybe about 20 ultras. These guys were evident when I arrived at the stadium, with their Pokima Spronzi banner hanging at the front of the stands during the match. That would translate as few but drunk. Their honesty and sense of humour is impressive, even if their numbers aren't. It's a variation on the more typical Pokima Buoni, few but good, slogan, and may have been my favourite banner all year. So, bearing that in mind, I hope you will now understand and forgive me for what I'm about to tell you. I failed. I'm sorry. I tried but I just couldn't get anything decent. Well, that was pretty painless. I feel a lot better having come in clean. While I'm at it, I also cheated on my standard grade physics exam. So, I failed. And no, 
I'm not talking about your Christmas present. Although as this book is probably what you're getting if I know you, I'll leave the conclusion on that one up to you. What I actually failed at was finding a Sassolese to interview for your delectation and deepening of insights into their team and fandom. Well, kind of semi-failed. See, I did speak to someone pre-match, and was able to get pretty uninspiringly monosyllabic responses to about half of my questions before this scrot of a stadium DJ, hereafter referred to as DJ Ballbag, started playing music to pump us up and get some atmosphere going before the game. There were two substantial flaws in the aforementioned DJ's plan. Flaw one, there were more away supporters inside the ground at this point than home fans, and even then there were only about 250 Atalantini. Flaw 2. Which kind of music did he choose to play in order to inspire and rouse the spirits of the hardy few who had ventured out? Maybe some rock on a highway to hell vibe? Or perhaps some, to be honest, shite, but nonetheless popular at matches, banging house in a having it large style? No. It had seemed that round these parts of Italy, what really gets the blood pumping and the hackles raised is Coldplay. No wonder Italy has a less than glorious military history if they sat about listening to the likes of Blanda's beige Coldplay before battle. Although I guess the inevitably quick arriving death following it could provide some welcome relief. So, my interview was foiled by the triple threat tag team combination of a not very interesting interviewee, DJ Bobag and Chris Martin. A pox on the latter two's houses as my interviewee, Stefano, seemed a nice enough guy, just not very good at answering questions in full or interesting sentences. For example, when I asked him what his impressions of Serie A were, seeing that this was his team's first time at the big table with the adults, he said, Well, you know, we're a small team, so it's been really tough. He'd clearly listened to one too many Dulles Dishwater player interviews. When Chris Martin and Chumps sorry chums he's never personally wronged me or anything their music's just about as exciting as porridge started whinging on about something or other at volume i took this as a sign from the stars to knock the interview on the head i thanked stefano for his time if not for his answers and went off to try to find myself a seat given that there were only about 30 people in the stand with me this didn't take all that long it was while I was sitting thinking about how cold the concrete beneath my cooler was that I started to reflect on a major drawback of the Mape Stadium Città dei Tricolore and its immediate surroundings. See, normally before games I treat myself to a wee beer or two with the objective or justification of soaking up some local colour in a watering hole beside the stadium. I may even occasionally splash out on some toast if I'm feeling reckless enough to mix up a food and alcohol cocktail in my belly. It is with a heavy heart that I inform you, dear listener, that I made this particular leap into the unknown as sober as newspaper headlines the day after the death of a member of the royal family. Just as miserable too. But then again, I had just been listening to Coldplay. To the endless shame of the local town planners, or whoever's responsibility it might be, the stadium is built past some suburby-looking houses and then out in a field. I'd walked past a bar on the way, but it was more of a coffee and brioche type establishment, so kept going, sure 
in my wrong-headed assumption that there'd be a pub beside the ground. There wasn't to be. At the turnstiles, there was, however, a group of about 20 guys hanging about, who I assume were ultras, thanks to their cases of beer and the fact that they were standing in front of a banner hung over the railing, urging Giorgio Squincy, the owner, to relocate the team back to Sassuolo or to do one himself. I doubt he'd be paying much attention to this, given that their home stadium back in Sassuolo has a 4,000 capacity, making it essentially a training facility with stands. Furthermore, he's an uber-rich businessman and is the boss of a building and chemical supplies company called Mapei. Recognise the name? That's because the stadium Sassuolo play in is the Mapei Stadium Città del Tricolore. So, rather unusually for here, he's the owner of the team and of the stadium, meaning that of course they play there. He's a successful businessman after all, and not a lot of them are stupid, even the ones who buy football teams. But anyway, with my mind stubbornly lucid due to my dangerously high alcohol-to-blood ratio, I had to watch 45 minutes of what could be described as pretty rank-quality football. There was more slipping over than you'd find in a banana-skin storage facility, and less control than in an orgy for virgins. To think as well, these men were professionals, and that apart from doing their hair, driving flash cars, and having exciting affairs with beautiful women, all they actually had to do was practice playing football. The sum of the first half excitement was a good save from the Atalanta keeper from a looping header, and the ball boys having to use pool skimmers to fish one of the countless misplaced passes out of the moat. Yes, a moat, but even then it wasn't all that large that surrounded the pitch. By the time the blessed relief of the half-time whistle came, I felt like I had icicles on my testicles. In a vain attempt to artificially inseminate the atmosphere with some atmosphere, we were treated to a song by a local group who came out onto the pitch and mimed for us. It wasn't terrible, but nor was it particularly good, and the only reason I remember it was that it was so obviously not live. None of the instruments were plugged in, Yet what we were hearing was, and the singer was jumping about with a mic by her side while on the song there was studio quality singing. Perhaps I'm being too hard and she's a very skilled ventriloquist, but at the time I didn't, and still don't, see the point of a band miming a song at halftime of a football match. Before the game, the Who Will Sing the First Song of the Day award was won by the fans who had come down the high road from Bergamo. During the players' warm-up, they serenaded Ezekiel Scalotto with a rousing chorus of Uomo di Merda, he's ex-Atalanta. He spent most of the first half being followed by it too, along with not playing particularly well. What's more, for a professional athlete, he has a very strange gait. Imagine someone running while trying to ward off an angry swarm of bees, and you're pretty much there. Luckily for him, but not necessarily for his career or agent, his display in the first 45 minutes proved to be his only contribution, and he was hooked off at half-time. This news brought one further round of Womo di merda, cascading down from the away fans' stand to accompany him while he was making his way to his seat in the main stand. What a strange last year he's had. Five months ago, he was an Inter player, having joined them from Atalanta in January 2013. 
and now he's getting subbed off at half-time while playing for Sassuolo, home of tiles. How the relatively mighty have fallen. In the second half, just when I was starting to think that the Sassolese chance of Noi vogliamo questa vittoria, we want this victory, seemed to be verging on the ambitious and misplaced, Sassuolo only bloody scored. After watching 65 minutes of what amounted to a plate of off-tripe, parried free kick taken by one of their few bright-looking players, Antonio Floro Flores, served up a goal and something to justify clapping hands. The ball was knocked back in after the keeper had pushed away the free kick, and Simone Zadza scored before going gaga. Normally, when the team that I'm visiting scores, I clap my hands politely if only to not betray the fact that I don't support them. This time, I have to tell you, I even stood up while clapping my hands quite briskly, happy to beat some circulation back into my freezing fingers. Having given us all one moment of joyful warmth after making us wait for more than an hour, Sassuolo then added a second goal five minutes later, Domenico Berardi catching Atalanta on the break and punishing them for their desperation. This time, and still relatively warm, I didn't stand up, but reverted back to classic, smiling and clapping hands a bit mode. Ten minutes before the end, the referee, who had thus far had a strange match, decided that it would be much more fun to officiate 10 versus 11, and so sent off Sassuolo's ante. They dug in and defended their lead to the end though, ensuring that as they got back on their bus back to Sassuolo, they'd have the three points. Speaking of which, let's look at the first question I posed at the start of this chapter. How can a company survive if it doesn't check whether you pay for its services or not? I ask, not because I'm particularly interested in the economics of running a public transport system, but because in the week up to this game, Genoa was severely disadvantaged, not paralysed really no matter how much bombast the local paper would like to lavish on the story, by a five-day strike by the local public transport company, AMT. From the Tuesday to the Saturday afternoon, no buses ran, and the eight-stop underground system was less useful than normal, and that's saying a lot. Count them, eight stops. You don't even have to take your socks off to do it. What the old women who habitually block the bus doors did in these days, I don't know, but I'm sure they found some way to entertain themselves. For me, however, it was more of an inconvenience, as for some of my lessons I need to take the bus, and when there's no bus, it means there's no work, and no work equals no money for yours truly. This put me in a tricky position though, as I generally think that trade unionism and solidarity with workers is a positive thing for society, if you take away any difficulties caused by the occasional strike. However, after the novelty of a quiet first day, I was quite keen for the strikers to get back to work and stop costing me money. The realisation that I was such a capitalist pig came as quite the disappointment. They were unhappy because the local council intended to make cuts to their spending, with privatisation a fear on the horizon and the year-on-year losses were getting out of control as detailed in their 2010 accounts, with a debt of over €82 million. With the mooted spending reductions of €8 million in the following year, many employees would have their salaries cut as the company tightened its belt. This would have a knock-on effect on the users of buses in the city, of course, 
Up to this point, I agreed with the workers, as it's not them that piss money away, although they are of course happy to mop it up. Five days into the strike, however, my patience and sympathy for their plight was beginning to wear thinner than a marathon runner's shoes. The fundamental problem, as far as I can see, isn't that the public transport service is especially bloated compared to other cities here or abroad. There are only eight underground stops after all. But that the way in which people use buses here means that the system has to change. Imagine you're waiting at a bus stop and you see your one coming. It pulls up and as people stream off, you can get on through either the front or rear entrances. Calm down, please. Or the exit in the centre. When on board, you don't have to present your ticket to anyone, but are relied on to stamp it when you get aboard. Trusting the fellow countrymen of Berlusconi to be honest? Hmm. This, of course, means that a significant number of people use these services without paying for them. In the 2010 accounts, for example, 858,000 euros of passenger fines are listed. Not buying a ticket could, of course, be an act of the Italian love of defying authority and trying to bend rules as far as possible without being caught. And, as on average, I see a ticket inspector maybe once a month. The punishment isn't big enough to make people spend €1.50 on a bus ticket. Incidentally, doing this, taking a bus or tube without a ticket, is referred to as faril portuguese, to be Portuguese, which is pretty odd, as I'm not aware of the Portuguese as being stereotypically unwilling to pay for public transport. I've never been to Portugal, so they may well be. It could be worse. Farilo spagnolo means that their Iberian neighbours get a worse rub, if you'll pardon the expression, of nicknames for actions. After five days, the strike was called off, with both sides agreeing to get back to work. Rather than curing the malady, though, it seems as if they've simply replaced the bandage, which will most likely need some inspection this time next year. All of this happened in the days preceding my jaunt to watch Sassuolo. And given my previously documented issues with Trenitalia services, I wasn't hugely enthused with any transport systems here. This time round, though, my trains all ran on time. And so, of course, a very drunk man decided to irritate me seeing as Trenitalia had failed in their mission this weekend. On a packed train, and while I was very obviously looking at my phone, I was the lucky chap who would be entertained by the aforementioned drunkard. His stream of consciousness poured out like beer from a punctured can of supermarket brand lager, although he was more partial to spirits, he conspiratorially informed me three times. Also, did I know that he'd met a tall Irish girl that morning? Yeah? No, I didn't know. Why would I? Oh yeah, she was a piece of ass. Super. Upon learning I was living in Genoa, he proceeded to list all the places he knew in Genoa. Really gripping stuff, honestly. Did I know he'd met a tall Irish girl that morning? Yeah? Yeah, she was a piece of ass. Did I know he didn't like wearing socks? No, I replied, without dangling him the bait of inquiring why. But then, his pièce de résistance. I bet you're a size 46 shoe. No, I'm a 45. Oh. Did I know he'd met a tall Irish girl that morning? Yes, you said. Yeah, she was a piece of ass. Sadly, for our blossoming bromance, he had to get off the train at Parma, 
leaving my business in Emilia-Romagna finished for the season and allowing my senses to pass the rest of the journey unmolested apart from a gentle descent into drowsiness and sleep. Okay, so I hope you enjoyed that. That was me going to Sassuolo. If you like what you heard, as always, rate and review. Subscribe to the podcast either through my website, www.michaelnimo.com, or through iTunes. You can also buy the book from my website if you fancy it. Have a lovely weekend, and join me on Monday when I go to watch Roma. Ciao, ciao.